Dylan Rich, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure to have you. The gentleman that I have on today, he is, he's got a really cool offer, really cool business that if you go to automatedrevenue.com, you can actually have him and his team find and hire top-notch sales talent for you. SDRs, uh, I think you do a little bit of You'll hire you'll hire closers, account executives, or people too, right? Yeah, so we do SDR appointment centers and closers or account executives, depending on the industry. They they yeah. call them different things, but people who put meetings on the calendar and then people who take those meetings and get a contract signed. Yeah, man. Well, cool to be here in this conversation with you. I know we're we're both Likewise. clients of each other. We both started working <laughs> with each other at the beginning of this year. Uh, it's been a great relationship, and now I get to finally ask you some questions that I've been curious to ask and learn more yeah. about your journey. And that's really what I want to focus on today, like your kind of journey from SDR yourself to now running this business that's pacing at, I believe, seven figures. I don't know if that's okay to share, but uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 something yeah, to be proud of for sure, man. You're doing well. And you've got like, you've got just massive volume on all ends, right? You've got a lot of people coming in and and, and purchasing your services and, and hey, like I want you to hire an SDR or account executive for me. Um, but also like you've got to supply the other side of it too. You've got to in continuously yeah. enroll students and people who are interested in becoming A players for other organizations. So it's like kind of, it's a tough, that's a tough balancing act, dude, generating demand yeah. and balancing it on both sides. So I mean, well, my, I think you know how yeah. we're able to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I do know how you're able to do it. Yeah, but like when you're first starting, man, because I I, yeah. I didn't meet you when you were at zero. So like, what is the proposition when you're first starting? How do you how do you square that in your head? You're like, oh, I'm going to start this thing, and it's like, well, I have zero demand on both sides right now. Like, what do you start with first? Do you generate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the offer was driven by prospects and potential clients, right? So I'm a firm believer in, you know, you need to build an offer around where people already are and where the interest and the demand already lies, right? Because you have a much harder job in business if you build something not knowing if people want it and then your job is to force people to want it. It takes a lot more energy, time, money, resources, you know, whatever it might be, it takes a lot harder to take someone who's here and be like, Hey, Hey, I'm over here. Do you want, you want this thing? Or I might as well just sell hot dogs to the drunk people. Um, instead of selling vegan options at the, at the football stadium. So, um, the offer started with the sales training and coaching. That is my background. Um, as well as my business partner, Jake, who you've also met. We've been in sales for each of us decade, 12 years each, oddly enough, same exact sales experience, um, pretty much the same sales background. So we both rest yards, we've been closers, we've been, you know, management level, director level. And essentially what our jobs was, was, was cultivating sales talent inside of an organization. So that's our background. That's what we were comfortable with. Uh, we teamed up, we created the, the course, the program, and it kind of came naturally. One person, I was like, what do you do with your students? And I was like, we train them. He goes like, what happens like after? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what, do, what do you want? And he goes, I want to hire somebody. Yeah. I was like, do you have good salespeople? I was like, yeah, we have great salespeople. He goes, 
what would you charge me for that? And I was like, on the fly, I was like, uh, this. And he goes, that's fair. Let's do it. And I was like, hmm, okay. And then I was like, this could be a business. (laughs) Because we have all these people sitting there. You might as well try to monetize both ends. And, you know, not from a monetary perspective, we help our students get job opportunities. So it's like, it's fulfilling, it's helpful, and it makes a lot of sense. But like you said, it is... It is definitely a teeter-totter, right? Making sure you have enough trained students to then supply the demand and making sure you don't have too much of each, right? Because we have 100 students and 10 jobs, that's a bad look. If you have 100 companies and 10 people, that's an even worse look. So it's definitely, mm-hmm. you have to scale gradually, right? We can't just like ram ads for one offer and not the other and making sure that everything is of high quality. So. It's been a slow, slow and steady gain um, from a business perspective, but yeah, it's helped a lot in regards to product offering. So you and your partner, Jake, Jake is the integrator operator of the business and you're more of the, the visionary. I think I can, I can speak for you there. Um, yeah. How did that relationship come about and what was like the <laughs> expectation setting? Because you, know, you and I have both seen where these types of partnerships um, you know, co-founding partnerships, they don't work and sometimes they end ugly. Um, and I, but if you can find the right partner and have the right expectations set and you're both clear on your roles, I think that it can really be a propeller and a, a beautiful relationship where you have a much bigger piece of a, you have a smaller piece of a much infinitely bigger pie. So I'm curious about that relationship. Yeah. That about. Absolutely, man. So I joined a coaching program myself called Wake Up Wealthy, um, probably around three years ago now, crazy enough to say that, almost three years. I joined that program because I knew that my skill sets and my experience could yield more in my life. You know, I was just a salesperson, nine to five person, just realized that I'm not really maximizing my potential. I was kind of at a glass ceiling, right? Because in a sales oper- sales you know career path, once you get to like a director or like a CRO, that's really it. Like that's the top of the mountain, right? Obviously, the mountain is different heights at different companies, but from like a position standpoint, responsibility standpoint, that's really the the echelon of it. So I wanted to get into business. My dad was an entrepreneur, and this group, Wake Up Wealthy, um, one of my best friends from college, was a part of it. He had a great experience. He was living life to the fullest, and I was kind of jealous. And I was like, "Yo, Bill." what are you doing? What's your secret? How'd you get to this? And he goes, just talk to this guy. His name is Brody Kern. So talked to Brody, joined the program and really expanded my, they have four pillars, mind, body, spirit, and business and living in alignment with those four pillars of your life. So making sure that your mind, your body, your spiritual connection is aligned with what you do career-wise. So it wasn't in alignment at that time in my life. And to get it into alignment, I business. So I started automated revenue um, <clears throat> during that program. Jake was also in that program. So they have a system called the Battle Buddy system. Sounds corny, but you match up with somebody in the community for a week. So you hold each other accountable. You get on a connection call. You meet somebody. It just grows your network and just expands, you know, the people that you know in your life. And Jake was one of my battle buddies. And we got on a connection call. We had a lot of, you know, similar background and experience as well as very aligned with how we approach life. So we stayed in contact for months, months and months and months. We, you know, touch base every month. It kind of just became natural. 
he said the words SDR Whisperer once and it like burned a hole in my brain. And I was like, shit. This is when I was like building a Twitter audience and like starting to do social and content and stuff like that. And I was like, yo, Jake, like I have an audience of people who are interested in sales. We should build a course, a program. So I pretty much pestered him and manipulated and bullied him into, <laughs> into building the SDR Whisperer with me. Best decision ever. And we built it. And then people just started to come into it. So back to your point of, you know, how we met was through a networking group or mastermind group. And really our kind of our X factor of why we've been able to work together so seamlessly. It doesn't feel like hard work is because we had the joined and shared basis of like life. Like we have the same outlook on life, same spiritual stuff, same mind, body, habits, That's kind of the foundation, and then business just came, you know, organically from that. Yeah, you guys are very similar, and I should have introduced you that way too. The SDR whisperer—that's that's really become a big part of your brand, the, and that's the moniker. Yeah, that's kind of what people like. I actually realized yesterday that you don't have your last name on Twitter. Like, if you look up Dylan no. Rich on Twitter, it doesn't come up. You actually you have to look up SDR whisperer. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, well, like, if you search SDR on Twitter, I'm the first person. So it's yeah, kind of like SEO. <laughs> that's SEO, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. I want to dive more into, uh, like, like we said, we were going to your journey a little bit. So I think you're, I'm turning 26 tomorrow and you're, I think, a little, nice, bit, I think you're a little older than me. Right? Happy you're, birthday. Thank you. I How turned you? 32 five days ago. Oh, oh, happy birthday yeah. as well. All right. September so, days. So you're third. You're 32 now. And what were you like? I mean, where, where's really the origin of all this? I mean, what were you thinking for your life path at 18 years old? What was the plan? <laughs> I was going to be a New Jersey state trooper. <laughs> wow. I could totally yeah, see so. you having followed that path. Like you kind of you, yeah. you you fit that a little bit. You see it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was the original goal. Um, went to Rutgers. I was a criminal justice major, double majored in criminal justice and um, sociology. Obviously, didn't really do too much. I was a pretty bad student, actually. I'm just not a fan of like, you need to learn this and do this test and assessment. But, you know, at that time, that was kind of the route, right? Like, there was an 18 year old making money online at that time. Um, it was a little bit of a different landscape and different options. Um, to what you could do. 2009. Um, yeah, 2009. Yeah, yeah, that's when I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there wasn't money Twitter. There wasn't a lot, or at least I wasn't, you know, open to those things. So, um, went the college route, joined a fraternity. Really, just the people I met in college was probably the biggest takeaway, not really the degree. Um, it's more so debt, but, you know, had a lot of fun, met a lot of really good people, lifelong friends. Best man at my wedding, um, individuals such as that. And my dad, like I said, he was a business owner. He's always been a salesperson his whole life. So he was a traveling salesperson. So he had clients all across the Eastern seaboard. So anywhere from Florida up to Maine, he managed units. Um, he sold vacuum cleaners, funny enough, for a business. Um, Probably yeah. door to door. So, yeah, door to door. So wow. his thing was he would walk into a new person with a vacuum cleaner and throw it in the door and let it break. Like his vacuum cleaner he sold and like show them that it didn't break. Oh, wow. 
So he would come in guns blazing. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. I'd love yeah. to see that. So, yeah, he's a door-to-door sales guy. So he's always been in sales, always been really good at, you know, human connection, you know, creating connections with everyone he comes across. Mm. Um, you know, when he calls somebody, you know, how's the wife, how's the kids? He always have personal stuff that he'd start off with. So um, learned my sales kind of knack from him. And I essentially called him. I was like, hey, dad, you know, I'm graduating college. I think I've partied a little bit too hard to be a state trooper at this point. I wish I'd do. And he's like, do sales. So took the old man's advice and got into sales. I did door to door, started selling cars. And then I moved into like software SaaS sales, enterprise sales in New York City. So I moved to Hoboken, New Jersey, worked in the city, commuted, and did that for yeah. eight, nine years, and then started on mid-revenue. What was what were some of the hardest things that you went through when you were starting your sales journey? I mean, it wasn't um, easy in the beginning, or was it for you? Because you kind of grew up around it. I don't think it was. It's never easy nothing is easy right it just takes practice and repetition to get comfortable and 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 get confidence in what you're doing but yeah it was definitely tough because we sold office equipment so like konica monolta and xerox printers so if anyone's listening to this don't do that not a good sales career path um because they work off contracts of like five to seven years so if you get a you know big office copier printer you know you're locked in for half a decade so 99.9 percent of the people that i you know offices that i went and visited they were middle contract they're like yeah reach out to us in three years and in my head i was like if i'm doing this in three years i'm gonna be you know (laughs) jumping off a bridge or something yeah (laughs) it's terrible so everyone that we spoke to just wasn't a good fit at the time and i was like just ran my head against the wall i was like this is tough this is tough this is tough so um i was like dad like how else can i get good sales experience and like that's a good lesson like if you're doing something that you don't truly love it's hard to make an earning or income like it's not bad to jump ship right like you only have one life so i did that for a few months and then i went into car sales much easier of a sell um people come to you right they walk into the dealership biggest thing that i learned there was just like hunger tenacity working hard will directly affect the amount of money you make so that was a big lesson there as well as like selling a commoditized product so like we sold mazdas you could buy a mazda at six different dealerships in a 20 mile radius right what you were buying wasn't unique to what i was selling So why would people buy a Mazda for me versus a Mazda from the guy down the road, right? So it really came down to, you know, relationship selling um, and actually creating a connection with somebody and making them stay at your dealership to buy from you because they wanted you to make the commission on the sale. So that was a really good learning lesson. Dealing with a commoditized product, buying from you versus anything else. Um, and the way car sales works is if you talk to that person first, they're your lead. So I would stand in the parking lot all day long. And as soon as you got out of your car, bam, that guy, Dylan Rich, how you doing? No, we're brought in today. <laughs> um, and the older sales guys hated me. I was like the youngest person at the dealership by like 20 years. Cause they would just sit back and wait for them to come in the, the showroom. I'm like, why would I do that? I could just go out. I'd be working like four people at the same time. <laughs> They'd be like, this guy's like cheating the system. I was like, all right, work harder, man. Yeah. I want to go back to that first experience. We've talked about this a little bit. I think a lot of people think that they're very good at sales 
Um, when all they've done though is actually just they've only just sold things that are sexy like lead generation and stuff like that yeah um, I mean you're selling something in the beginning there that is totally the opposite of sexy <laughs> how do you be less sexy dude you have to be good at sales to sell you have to be really good at sales to sell printers especially outbound like is yeah. that what you were you were you prospecting for that yeah bro how do you yeah. sell that <laughs> I mean, you just walk into the business, you schmooze up the secretary and you get a business card. And then we took a bunch of business cards. We'd go back into the office. And I mean, this is before close IO or go high level or HubSpot or anything like that. We would just manually call up. Hey, I was in your office this week. You know, just wanted to see if we could set a meeting um, to come by and talk about your, you know, copy your office lease. See if we can save you some money and get you a better unit. So it'd be door to door plus cold calling, I guess. <laughs> wow. So were you, you were traveling a little bit? Yeah, so it was pretty, you know, it was pretty centralized. I was still in college at that time. So my senior year of college, I worked part time for it. Um, but it was all in like the New Brunswick, Princeton, you know, area there. So we drive to like a big office building, take the elevator up and go to every single office. <laughs> Man, that sounds hard. This is like just the nature of that being so low on the on the totem pole to having to schmooze yeah. and stuff like that man i just <laughs> i hate the thought of that <laughs> yeah that's hey you gotta earn your stripes man yeah you gotta earn your stripes and it taught me that i don't want to do that ever again yeah totally yeah so it was a fun time yeah man so moving further you got a job at a car dealership and then and then from there you kind of we went a little fast through the rest of it. What happened after the car dealership? Um, yeah, so after the car dealership, I was like, I want to do like legit sales, mm. right? So I started applying to jobs, you know, in New York City, SaaS companies, software companies, startup companies. I flopped a bunch of interviews because I had no B two B sales experience. Mm -hmm. I did door to door and car sales. Didn't they didn't think it translated right? So I landed a job. A guy took a took a chance on me. Came in as an SDR, inbound or uh, inside sales, they called it. So we sold sports analytics software to coaches and athletic directors in the high school and college space. So we sold to Tight volleyball budgets. coaches. Yeah, yeah, and like seasonal budgets. Um, so we sold lacrosse volleyball basketball football as our core sports so we would cold call you know coaches on their cell phones um and the crazy thing about this role and looking back at it super valuable but i've never heard of sdr's responsibilities be like this one so we had a cold call we had to qualify and instead of booking an appointment which is like standard practice we actually did demos the SDRs did the demos. So if I called up, you know, Coach Jones, football coach, like, hey, coach, you know, I know you guys are doing it this way. We were doing it this way. By chance, like, you got like some time you by the computer? Yeah, I actually am. Awesome. Can you uh, open up a new browser tab for me? This is before Zoom. And we use this like screen share technology. They had to type in the URL. So it was like screenshare.com slash like this one, C3YN5FSWH. So they had to manually type it in over the phone. They clicked it, boom, screen share. I demoed the platform. So this cold call has now turned into not mm -hmm. only, you know, 
an intrusion of their time and a, and a break of their day. But now this, this, this poor guy's on a, on a 30 minute demo. <laughs> and then once the demo was done, he goes, what's the price? And then I would live transfer it to the closer who sat next to no me. No way. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> if he was on another call, I'd have to keep this guy on the phone until he was off his call oh, and then live gosh. transfer it. So it was essentially a one call close, cold call, demo, and pricing close all on the first initial call. That's it was pretty so crazy. interesting. Yeah. I've never heard of another like sales structure like that. But you actually did it. Yeah. Yeah. Like 200 dials a day, boiler room. It was like a room probably twice the size of my yeah. office now. There was like 20 SDRs just ripping dials. And you're talking to like football coaches in high school. Like you got to bring the energy. You got to kind of talk the talk. So it was like a, it was, it was, a, it was an awesome experience. I was there yeah. for like two years. Went from SDR to SDR manager to closer director of partnerships. And then they sold. They got acquired. And then on the spot, lost my job. Mm. <laughs> so two and a half years grinding, you know, making a name for myself in the company, working my way up the ranks. And then boom, one day you got no job done. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you yeah. laugh about it now, but like at that time, that must have, I mean, you're probably, you're, you're probably in your mid twenties maybe or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, early and that 20s, sucks. Yeah. That sucks. So what next? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I mean, I'm never one to kind of like sit and pout. You just got to sure. keep pushing on. This is just what, this is just what the circumstance, yeah. you can't do anything about it. Um, so went back, hit the job market and I was selling B to C technically there, right? To consumer. Um, so I wanted to get into the B2B game. I wanted to, you know, increase my sales skills and, and my repertoire of what I could sell. So I've done copiers, I've done cars, I've done software for to consumers. Now I got to do software to businesses. That's kind of like next stepping stone in my eyes. So apply to a bunch of spots. Didn't get a lot of good interest because I didn't have direct B2B experience. Even though I've had what, four years, three and a half years of sales experience, they didn't care because I didn't sell large ticket because I was selling a thousand to two thousand dollar product. Again, I did not do a lateral move. No one would give me a closer role in B2B because I never closed B2B. So I had to move back down to SDR again. <laughs> so I went from not making cold call, making cold calls, not making cold calls, closing deals, now back to making cold calls. So, you know, a little bit of a, a punch on the chin, but to to move up, sometimes you can't always go up, right? The road yeah. is not always up. So went back down, had to do cold calls um, for that company and then worked there for a year, moved back up to, you know, account executive closer and Pretty much stayed in that ex kind of executive closer role for like four to five years moving around. I've sold, you know, enterprise software. I've sold procurement software. I've sold HIPAA compliant software. I sold, That's boring. <laughs> yeah, boring, but high ticket. Mm. Um, you know, you're reaching out to, you know, Fortune 500 companies. I've learned a lot. You know, I've, I've sold to almost every different type of person. And that's yeah. why I think I'm pretty uniquely qualified to train sales. So it gives me a lot of confidence totally. is that any question that I'm going to receive with our students, I've done it, right? I don't have to yeah. speak about what it might be. Or, oh, this is my direct experience. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You didn't just, uh, didn't just sell agency services and then be like, all right, now I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a sales coach. Like I got, yeah, I can sell. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's the problem is people are have success selling one singular yeah. thing and then yeah. think they know what everything is. So for sure. It's weird. You mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm curious what you think of this. You mentioned uh, passing 200 cold calls a day. And I actually read a statistic. I was, I stumbled upon it probably six to eight months ago. It was the average SDR makes 33 cold calls per day. And I was like, wow, the average SDR is a loser. (laughs) What? Like that could t- that takes ten that t- that takes no time, dude. What? Yeah. Like I I say like yeah. a like an average SDR, would you know like a a B minus player SDR makes a hundred calls a day, um, a B plus makes a hundred fifty, and then an A player makes two hundred calls per day or more. Yeah, is that kind of in line with what you've seen or? Or a little bit. I guess it depends too. I mean, the number the number of cold calls should be in proportion to the amount of valuable conversations you have. Yeah. So the way that I look at it is if you've made less calls, but you've done more output, like that's a way better day than like making 300 dials and setting no meetings. Like that's yes. the worst day possible, right? But it shows that you're putting in the effort and you're willing to yeah. do what is required to have a good yeah. output day, right? Um, but yeah, 33, 33 cold calls, like that's gotta be, that has to be like very high enterprise where it's mm-hmm. not like a smile and dial environment. It's more very much targeted, very much, you know, ABM account-based marketing, um, approach. So yeah. I would say the number of dials doesn't truly matter. It's mm-hmm. really how many is required to get the job done is yeah. how many dials you should be making every day. Yeah. If you call five people and all five pick up and you book yeah. five appointments. Totally. It's a pretty good day. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, I guess that, that then the, the more important number there is your connect rate and how many conversations yeah. you're having per day. Cause if, yeah, if you're just like, if you're just not having meaningful conversations with people, if you're too focused on the, 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 oh, I'm going to make 200 calls today and you're not taking your time with the conversations and putting in as much yeah. effort as you like, yeah. Meaningful conversations is the metric. Yeah. So let's talk about how you run sales teams. Cause I know you've had uh, plenty extensive experience doing that. Like what, what's a, a well-oiled machine of a sales organization rev organization look like? Cause I've, yeah. I'll, I'll preface so, it I too mean, with, with, I've seen some shit like, yeah. Like, oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what you do. Um, you've probably seen some pretty, I've seen a lot too. I mean, it, I mean, there's two components to a sales, right? My analogy is always like a car. Right. So, I mean, if you're a salesperson, you're essentially the driver of said car. That's your job. Right. So when you're looking for a new job or new opportunity, making sure that the car that you're about to get into, you know, <laughs> it has a well-oiled engine that doesn't have a check engine light on, you know, there's a seat belt, there's a windshield, like making sure that the car you're about to drive is safe and well-equipped to go from point A to point B. Um, but as a sales organization, it's your job to build that car. Right. So making sure that you have proper software, tech stack, right? A CRM, a dialer, um, Zoom, um, you'd be surprised. Like a Slack, you know, internal communications channel, good tracking and reporting, Airtable. Um, so making sure that you have the correct software pieces. The second part is just because you have a good tech stack. It means that now there's a bunch of disparate data sources. 
So making sure that the softwares that you do have as an organization speak to each other and they work in tandem to get you the information and the job done in the most effective and efficient way, right? Just because you have a CRM and, you know, maybe Slack and, you know, Airtable for performance and tracking and spreadsheets. And if they're all here and around, but they don't talk to each other, it's even more useless than not having them at all. Because now you don't know anything about your sales company. So the best sales organizations are data driven. They have a well-oiled machine where they can see the important metrics at a moment's notice. They can just load up a report and see what's going on. Then the second most important thing from a sales organization is if, if you have the car built, but you have, you know, a 75 year old senior citizen driving the car, it's not going to get from point A to point B. So making sure that you now have found a competent driver, yeah. which is your sales talent and the people that yeah. you hire, that's probably the most important I'll, thing. I want to see a lot of organizations. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that because people mess this up. So yeah. What are you looking for? in terms of like traits and characteristics? Like what, what kind of person are you looking for? And not yeah, looking so like, for? Yeah, um, it really comes down to the intangibles. You know, we hire a lot of people, get pe- a lot of people hired on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And like the biggest pitfalls that I see people who are hiring, they look for the wrong things. They're, they're too focused on their previous experience or yep. they're too focused on something that they've sold in the past that you know is close to what they sell right just because you sell hr software doesn't mean the person that's going to be your best salesperson has been in hr for years probably that's the worst person because they have bad habits they have a preconceived mm-hmm. notion about the industry there's a reason why they're looking for a in the same market um so really looking for the intangibles, right? <clears throat> your hunger, your tenacity, your willingness to learn something that you don't know, putting in the time, energy, and effort outside of working hours to really become an industry expert in what you're selling and who you're selling it to. And then being able to be coachable and really good communication internally. Those are like the the core drivers, right? Because yeah. If you want the guy who's going to make 33 cold calls and thinks he knows everything about the, the product, the service, and the industry, and kind of, you know, high chin, kind of pompous attitude, that guy's not going to work the hardest. He's not going to do everything that's required to get the job done. I'd rather have the young buck yes. who's just willing to die for yep. the offer and willing to yes. make money. And he has like a predefined why. Like maybe his mom's sick and he needs to pay for hospital bills. That guy's going to blow the water out of anybody else, right? Because he has a a specific why of why he's getting in every day, making his calls, having conversations and making money. What are you ageist? Age, little no. ages. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, link, LinkedIn's an interesting place. The, LinkedIn's a very woke, like hiring place. I don't know the rec- the recruiting, yeah. <clears throat> uh, the recruiters on there that post these like story. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's, it's very woke. I think they would have a problem with you hiring young people and like, but I would agree too. Like it is generally hard to untrain, um, yeah. A mind that has learned bad habits and is now, you know, mid career looking for a new opportunity. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit to going with the young buck for sure. And if you also seen someone who has, who's had, has had the same responsibilities for a long time, it's also a red flag. Mm. Well, because they're just like not, been, they're not moving up. Like, yeah, they're not moving yeah. up. The company that 
Right. They haven't seen those qualities in that person. That's why they haven't gotten moved up. And that person wants to move up, but doesn't really know why they're not being, they're mm-hmm. being passed over for promotion. So they have to keep moving laterally. That's also kind of a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen, you see that in other roles too, not just sales. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Well, like, why am I not being promoted? It's like, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, dude, this has been a good conversation. I want to finish up with like a thought of this just now. Imagine you're writing a book, The 48 Laws of Closing Cold Traffic. Okay, <laughs> taking a Robert Greene approach here. It would be a pretty good book, I think. I think you could tweak yeah. the end part of it. The 48 Laws of Blank. I think, I think I'd love to see it from Dylan. But anyway, The 48 Laws of Closing Cold Traffic. What would be like one or two or three of those laws? Yeah. Um, So closing cold traffic. So treating it as if they're cold traffic is a big thing. Like understanding what is their knowledge and based on understanding of who you are, the company, what you do, and not assuming that they've done the research, they're assuming they've gone to your website, assuming that they've done anything besides booking a call. And not skipping steps because a lot of people can close warm referrals. That's easy, right? But calling and closing someone who just got one singular cold email is like, yeah, this sounds interesting. Like making sure that you do all the proper steps that are required to close a client. That's like the first law, right? Understanding that this is a cold individual who has no idea who you are. They have no trust, validation, or knowingness that this is going to work, Mm -hmm. right? That's definitely the first law. The second law of closing cold traffic is also the exact adverse of that. Just because someone's cold does not mean that they're not willing to buy in a short period of time. A lot of people treat cold traffic as like, oh, this is going to be like a three-month close. But if you come in there with a preconceived notion that it's going to take three months, it's probably going to take three months because you're not doing the steps required to close in a shorter period of time. So kind of directly adverse, but also very, you know, very important two laws there. Um, the third law of closing cold traffic would be to properly follow up. A lot of people in the sales game don't mm. follow up and like you should be following up always mm. until eternity, until you get a yeah. yes or a no. So a follow up a few times and they fall off because they have other shit to do but like always working your pipeline is like the number one reason why you close cold Mm. traffic so something i've been battling too i i've i've heard this thrown out a few times but someone said something that stuck with me um for better or worse probably worse but it's like i only want to do business with people who want to do business with me and so that's been like for me a little bit of an excuse of ah well you know I don't have to follow up here. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't, I don't, and I don't think that's a good thing. It's something that I got to get out of for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to understand why they didn't buy from you in the first call. Mm-hmm. Understanding as much as why they didn't buy from you compared to why they did buy from you is just as valuable. And then you need to, in your CRM or wherever your leads are, Making sure that you have detailed notes on the conversation and, the, you know, a cate- categorization or classification of why they didn't buy based on your qualification metrics. So standard qualification is BANT, 
budget, authority, need, and timeline. Those are the four core drivers usually. Obviously, there's you know offshoots and tertiary regions underneath those pillars, but do they now have the budget? Was this something that they didn't have money allocated for at that time? Authority, were they the person that could even make the decisions, sign the dotted line? Need, do they want it or not? And then timeline is if this is something of interest, are they able to implement it in a reasonable enough timeline? So when you disqualify a lead, you need to categorize them based on your qualifications. So that's when you know how to follow up and what are the reasons why they didn't purchase in the first place. Mm -hmm. So now all of your follow-ups are relevant to a topic that they care about. Yeah. Uh, Something I wanted to share with you, glad you bring bring this up, is uh, we started doing in our CRM, we note down what their problem is, what their problems are, their pain, and then there's another field for their future state that they're going for. Um, and you've got to find out those three things on the call. If you don't, like you didn't do your job. Um, you didn't and do we your can't job. Effect- we can't effectively sell to them. So, And then a generic notes field as well. So yeah, I, th- I thought you'd like that. I'm glad. Yeah, no, I mean, it's awesome because when you follow up, you're like, hey, I know when you last spoke, yeah. this is the exact situation that you were in. Yeah. Has this situation changed at all? Yeah, yeah. so like you should know just by those three fields, problem, pain, and future state, you should know exactly who they are just by reading the problem, pain, and future state without even looking at their name in the CRM. Like you should be, oh yeah, yeah it's that person. If you can't do that, the notes aren't good enough. No. And then, I mean, being able to search all people that hit those locations. So when you're doing follow-ups in a call block, all right, I'm going to call this hour everyone who's had these categorizations. And then all those calls are going to be the same problem. So you're in the correct mindset and mental frame of what these calls are going to be about. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, Dylan Rich, my man, thank you very much for being here. AutomatedRevenue.com. If you're, yeah, I mean, this guy, he's been there, done that. Like instead of you spending uh, years trying to figure out where even to find sales talent, this guy's got, he's the plug. He's got the source. So I would uh, yeah. hit him up, automatedrevenue.com. He's got a team of, uh, or he's got a real, real A player team to uh, take care of you. So anyway, man, thanks for being and here. And A player background. Thanks to you, brother. Yes. The Zeus Dude, operating some, system has some, been very important to us. So much more that we can do too. So much more. Yeah. Like I, every, I think of ideas that I, that I would, what, things I would do to improve your systems at least once a month. So I, I probably owe it to you to share some of those things. Anyway, man, yeah, please again. do, brother. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Building Freedom. My only hope for this podcast, my aim is that this inspires you to build a freer, fuller life, one where you're not enslaved by a business, whether that be your business or any other business, whether you're a business owner or self-employed. The aim of this show is to help you build a freer, fuller life. And there are many ways to do that. And that's what we showcase on this show each week. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be well.